This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 20, First Round Strategies, The Nalu Collective. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. difficult thing to do and still achieve good audio because as many audio technicians might know making this noise directly next to a microphone is not advisable i'm being a snake voice and this is my snake voice Listeners, I wish you could see the faces Hunter has to make in order to do that voice because it's, boy, let me tell you, is it something? I look like a snake. This week on Space Cats Peace Turtles, I'm Matt. Ma- <laughs> <laughs> I'm Matt Martin. I'm Snake Donald. I'm Severus Snake. <laughs> Uh, we're talking about the Nalu Collective, which, as everyone knows, there's some sexy snake ladies. Snake this is a, this is we're done. That is enough. Let's talk about the Nalu. Do you want to talk about the Nalu with me, Hunter? Mm, let's do theme. Let's do the theme. He likes first. Um, so the Nalu Collective. It was not until the middle of the Twilight Wars that the Nalu civilization made itself known to the galaxy. Yeah, I think for this one, just out of nowhere, you should the read whole the thing. entire yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm gonna. Their system dominated by the White Star Malik had remained suspiciously undetected by the Empire. Last <laughs> of a fear period of astonishment. Oh man. Um, their disposition is seductive. Why is disposition the best part of every single race? I don't sheet? know. Yeah, it's always kind of just like the Hail Mary, like whatever yeah. part of it. It's like where they get in a slight joke. Like, yeah, yeah. Why is that even something that you would need to know about them? Also, why would an entire race's disposition be seductive? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a very weird, like. Yeah. Every single Nalu is just kind of kinky and randy. <laughs> like, <laughs> let me talk about that. One. Let me tell you about that planet Malik. They uh, Ooh. they know how to party. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> some weird sorority. A that sort one. of a kind of Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, let's talk. Okay, let's talk about abilities with the Nalu Collective. The yeah. Nalu Collective are telepathic. That means at the end. Of the strategy phase, you place the Nalu Zero token on your strategy card. You are first in initiative order. This is an important ability and one that uh, I see questions about a lot because you have this initiative order for as long as initiative order happens, mm-hmm. which means, sure, during the whole action round, you will be the first one to take an action each round. But then leading into the status phase, you are the first person to claim objectives. And that is is the ultimate strength of this power it is, is that so cool it's still no like matter what you ability. will always claim objectives before other people except for one 
small um, sure. circumstance that we'll talk about later. But yeah. then your second ability is Foresight, which is after another player moves ships into a system that contains one or more of your ships, you may place one token from your strategy pool in an adjacent system that does not contain another player's ships. Move your ships from the active system into that system. This is a pre-battle retreat. It's the you retreat to... ability that everybody wants right, to Right, everybody have. wants. You, or they you... even sometimes think that think that's they how have. it works yeah, when you right. start playing <laughs> Twilight Imperium. Um, yeah, they, they get to pick their battles. They they don't have to fight anything they don't necessarily want to, provided you got the strategy pool command counters. But it's, I mean, that alone, I would say, is, is also a hugely powerful part of this race and something that I think even I forget to take advantage of a lot and it's so powerful that it's like good enough reason to like always keep some spare strategy counters ready yeah it's super cool tell me about that uh let's get that flagship out there just so we know it so the flagship currently reads as during an invasion in this system you may commit fighters to planets as if they were ground forces after combat uh, return those units to the space area i believe dane beltrami has sent out an errata to this that says um when combat ends return those units to the space area the important distinction there being you cannot use fighters alone to take control of a planet yes. the combat ends the fighters retreat if you have one ground force still there then you take control of the planet but if there's no ground forces you don't take control of the planet and that's a very important distinction but with the matriarch in tow you only need one ground force and then a million fighters and right. you're going to take almost any planet you could possibly want to take yeah save for, for save for a couple of soul or arborek planets maybe yeah for shizzle for shizzle you're for thizzle for shizzle <laughs> <laughs> uh, the nalu collective start with one carrier one cruiser one destroyer well balanced i guess three fighters Four infantry, space dock, and a PDS. Um, so they're lacking one carrier. Oh, yep. That's they unfortunate. That they don't have TC4I. But the starting tech that they have is Neural Motivator and Sarween Tools, which, just looking at them objectively, those are the two best starting techs uh, they to are, have. They, they, they don't favorite. combo for anything, necessarily, mm. but... Sarween Tools is amazing. Neural Motivator yeah, is amazing. They both, they both rule. Yeah. This is my favorite non-2C4I start, yeah. actually. Yeah. Uh, they, they te- yeah, they technically lack the carrier, but they got so much other going for right. them so early uh, that it's pretty cool. Yeah, they've got a great start. Yeah. I love them. Yeah. Their racial tech is Neuroglave. It requires three green techs, so it's... <sighs> basically a late game tech and it reads as after another player activates a system that contains one or more of your ships that player removes one token from his fleet pool and returns it to his reinforcements uh it's a huge tech we're going to talk about it more later but for me it's a required get no matter what uh the timing of which maybe depends on how you're feeling in your game but it i think before the end of the game you need to have neuroglave cool their Tell me about other those is they start with special fighters that are called crystal fighters um and when you upgrade those crystal fighters they act as though they were advanced fighters except for um fighter in excess of your ship's capacity count as half of a ship against your fleet supply so effectively you can have twice as many advanced fighters out there mm-hmm. uh, and they also roll on a seven which is Dope. Amazing. Super dope. So you're going to have a ton of fighters on the field. Um, you should you should be rushing for Crystal Fighters. You should be rushing for Neuroglave. 
and um, you should be flooding the board. So let's talk. What was the real quick? What was the capacity on the flagship? Okay. Capacity six, okay. so you can hold six fighters, and then as many extra to match up yeah. to your fleet supply. So you do, yeah. That that tech is necessary. Yeah. Necessary. Yeah. So. That's how you start off with. Oh, their promissory note. We might as well not read it because if it's if you're asking me, you should never ever 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 give this Which out. Which is what we say every. No, time we say that a lot. No, we say that a lot. But this one, I really do mean it. There, you could. No one could convince me that there is a valuable enough trade to give this one up. I'll read it for you though. Gift of the prescience at the end of the strategy phase. Place this card face up in your play area and place the Nalu Zero token on your strategy card. You are the first in initiative order. The Nalu player cannot use his telepathic faction ability during this game round. Then uh, return this card to the Nalu player at the end of the status phase. So for one round, you get to steal that zero initiative order ability. That is important in two ways. One, you can give this to someone and that person now has the ability to claim objectives first so not only are you giving someone the power to claim objectives first and ostensibly give them the opportunity to just win the game Mm -hmm. but more importantly you're taking it away from yourself which means even if the player isn't using it to win it for themselves on a round where you might be planning to win it for yourself they can stop you if you give this out Someone can take your power away from you in scoring objectives first. And and if anything, that is the most powerful ability that you have in terms of actually winning the game. Not only have a lot of powerful abilities, but what a lot of people online will tell you is they are not necessarily a superpower race. Um, just from their most of their normal abilities alone. It's a lot of kind of defensive measure stuff, mm-hmm. reactionary stuff. But having the ability to claim objectives first is what makes them truly scary it's my favorite thing about them yes it's the best thing about them for sure so let's talk about uh map placement yeah uh nalu is really tricky i would say and i've been kind of going all over the place with them so i'm gonna i'm gonna pull this into two different directions one is if you listened to our mentac coalition strategy guide uh, I opted for this really specific kind of get these exact techs and hit the ground running. And with Mentac, I felt it was really important. And with Nalu, it's a little bit less so, but there are huge benefits you get from getting your necessary techs quickly. So with Nalu, I would suggest starting near a blue or a green tech specialty. Mm. or both or whatever or two greens or something but at least one of them will be really nice now already i feel good about this recommendation because that's half of the possible tech specialties so it's like you're probably going to start decently close to one of these um and if you don't or if you can't or whatever depending on how you choose to build your galaxy i would say the other most important thing is have a good two-planet system nearby. And by nearby, I mean adjacent to your home system. Have one of those systems be a two-planet system. Okay. The reason for that is your number one foe is going to be production capacity. Mm -hmm. If you want to chunk out fighters like crazy, you need a production center that can do that. And and preferably, it's going to be an Abyss Freya, a New Albion Starpoint, something like that, where you can drop two space docks on two planets that are high value and be able to build 10 plus fighters 
per activation. What's the potential for your home system? Your home. Th- this is why you need the two planet because your home system is not great because you start with a three one and a zero two, and that zero two is what kills you yeah. unfo- in, in terms of creating it a production was even center. A one two. Yeah, exactly. It would be better, but this it's it's not enough. You do not want to make your home system your production center. You don't want to put two space docks there. You yeah. are much better off getting a high value two planet, even if it's like two planets that both have two i don't even know if that's a thing but just like mm. the higher resources you can get the better because you really need to be making production centers yeah because you're, you're going to want to pump out a lot of fighters yeah a, a huge number so that is again tech specialties blue and green or at the very least two planets if you can get all of those things then you're in the money, right? That's that's kind of your dream start is like a green tech nearby and a two-planet system that's really good. Mm-hmm. That's kind of all you need. All right, well, what are you going to do with that? What's your strategy for what's your strategy so, for round one? This is one of those races that you want to be teching. So it's a either take diplomacy or take tech mm-hmm. uh, start. I, I kind of put both of those equal. It, de- it, it mostly depends on if you got the tech specialty. If you got the de- tech specialty, then you want diplomacy so that you can take that right. planet, flip the planet for its tech specialty, and jump towards whatever tech you're trying to get. If you have the blue, you skip blue to get advanced fighters turn right, one. Right. If you have green, you start your race towards Neuroglave. You start with Neural Motivator. You use green to jump up to hypermetabolism right next turn you get neuroglave mm-hmm. right and and i i love the rushing for neuroglave star i don't think everybody does but and I, i've heard some people who don't think neuroglave is that amazing of an ability but the thing with neuroglave is by the player having to remove a fleet supply from their area that can affect fleets that are not a part of the fight mm-hmm. and that's huge you can inflict damage on people in fleets they were not planning to have to do anything with yet. You have three tokens in fleet supply. Yes. I have Neuroglave. Mm-hmm. You activate one of my systems. You are required to remove one of your tokens from fleet supply. You now have two tokens in fleet supply. In your home system, you had a destroyer and two cruisers ready to go do something else entirely different. Well, now you have two tokens in fleet supply, and you have to immediately rectify all systems' fleet supplies because fleet supply is checked immediately. Right. Not at the end of any sort of activation or something. You just have to be adhering to fleet supply. I get what you're saying. So, so you like, lose a destroyer. Ne- Neuroglave forces you to look at not like it forces you to look at every single system where exactly. you have ships. Every, every time fleet you, you decide to fight. If you want to make neuro if you want to make the Nalu your enemy and they have Neuroglave, you now have to think about the entire composition of every single one of your fleets. Uh, and potentially reorganize everything. That's interesting. And that is uh, incredibly scary. <laughs> Are there any other strategy cards you want to recommend besides Diplo? I have a weird feeling beyond diplomacy and tech, and that's because part of me wants to recommend warfare, mm-hmm. but no one is a worse race to have warfare round one than the Nalu Collective. Why? Because Why? you have zero initiative, which oh, means yeah. <laughs> you will go first, which means you cannot stall people out of warfare. Right. If people decide that they want to outlast you, they just simply can. Because they'll, they're all, at the very least, going after you. So even if you spend every single command counter you can, yeah. they can do the same thing. And then you need to play warfare or you're out of options. So I like warfare for them because you can get a lot of work done. You need to 
you know, maybe produce that carrier in your home system because you really do need two carriers. You might be able to build that and then pull the command counter, send it out, get some work done or get to a high value system or something. But I don't know that I think it's worth not being able to stall anybody out. Yeah. So it makes me hesitate. I, I'm pretty curious what the community feels about that. Um, but I would say Nalu may be the number one race you don't want to pick Warfare with. But it has its powers. Um, the other one would be leadership. Um, and that's mainly because command tokens are going to be a running issue for you as the Nalu Collective, I would say, because um of the strategies i'm hoping you will employ um you're going to have a lot of cheap armies that you want to spread out all over the place which means you're going to be activating many systems per round it's not a normal race where you're kind of like maybe doing two things on the board two or three things i'm gonna like advocate you try to move big fighter fleets like everywhere so Mm. four or five activations per round and so you're going to want to be getting lots of tokens pretty much constantly. So high influence systems are important for you and taking leadership is really important for you. So you might as well start in the right position. So if, if diplomacy and tech have already been taken, I would say go ahead and take leadership. As for secondaries, you might need to activate. Again, diplomacy and tech are the two most important ones. If you can make it time out to where you get to flip a tech specialty planet with diplomacy so that you can use it to tech and skip unnecessary tech go straight for advanced fighters or go straight for neuroglave i want you to do that otherwise you definitely need to do the secondary of warfare that's pretty crucial if you didn't take it you need to get that second carrier out there that's going to just just per normal to have a good start you need that second carrier um another interesting one though is i don't normally recommend construction but like we said earlier, you really need production centers quickly. So if you were able to take Abyss Free around one, construction, getting that out of the way quickly is incredibly value for you. Um, it's you, you really do want to get both of those space docks down as fast as possible. And so if you can get one out of the way turn one, go for it. I think that's great. Now, you might be too busy take uh, doing tech and warfare secondaries, but if you had to go with the leadership approach... Throw in an extra one for construction. Not bad. Not a bad option. Yeah. What about trade? I just don't see the value turn one Yeah. for Nalu. I think trade is a great take for them because, like we said, you're going to be spreading out a lot as Nalu. You're going to be having these fighter swarms go all over. And we'll talk about this more when we get into mid-game conversations. But I think Nalu are, are great at trading in general. But round one, it's not your priority. Yeah, um, You'll get there, you'll get next to people, and you will have many trade partners later on. But turn one, you have other things to focus on. More than anything, I just think this is one of those races where you need to get Advanced Fighters and Neuroglave as fast as possible, and a lot of other things fall by the wayside in service of achieving that goal. Mm-hmm. I played a game, the game I played Nalu, I did not rush for Neuroglave, but you and I played a game with someone, and he did rush for Neuroglave. He had a green tech specialty in, uh, right next to his home system. Mm-hmm. Turn one, he got hypermetabolism, like we said. Mm-hmm. Turn two, first action of turn two, he had Neuroglave. I was the Yin Brotherhood, and I was his neighbor. Nothing I could do. Mm-hmm. Especially with Yin, because fleet supply is so important for Yin. Right. And just like you instantly become a non-target. Like, it is maybe the most defensive ability in the game, more so than X-Chaw's ability to stop you from activating a system, because that's like a one-time thing. You will always lose a fleet 
supply counter every time you activate a system of nullas. Right, right. So you cannot, the best you can do is attack them maybe twice, and then you've lost so much just to get to that point. You have it's never plan, worth it. You, you really have to plan to attack the nullas. Yes. You yeah. can't just, like, see an opening. No, exactly. Like, there, you, no, there are no opportunities that you find in Nalu territory. Right. And that is going to be, like, the linchpin of a Nalu player's strategy for me is get Neuroglave as fast as possible and make yourself the most inconvenient player on the board, which is why it's great that you have lots and lots and lots of cheap units that you get to just funnel out and spread everywhere so that you have units on every space on the board so that anywhere anyone wants to activate, it ruins their whole day. Right. That's right. your goal as Nalu Collective is to really ruin people's ability to make um, clean, easy decisions. Yeah. Everything has to suddenly become, oh, he's got four fighters there. Yeah, I could kill the fighters, easy, but I'm going to lose a fleet supply in the process, mm -hmm. and that requires me to either deal with my other fleets or lose a bunch of units in random systems. So, big, big fan of sprinting for Neuroglave, because the earlier you get it, the more damage it's going to do over time, because then you get to spread wherever you want and do whatever you want, and people will be very afraid to do anything about it. Well, also, people are, I think, more scared of the fleet supply thing earlier. Early, early absolutely. Than, than yeah, that's, yeah, round five, people can usually afford to lose a fleet supply, but round three... No, you yeah. you don't. You no one's been investing in fleet supply yet. Right, right. Uh, so units you need round one. You need to get that carrier, and then I would say if you've got extra money to spend, just put more fighters on the board. Get those fighters coming out as fast as you can. Honestly, um, there's there's some arguments for just like building up a decent fleet, just of cruisers and stuff, until you get advanced fighters. But the big argument is. You're going to get advanced fighters fairly quickly anyways, and they're going to roll on a 7, which means they're already as good as your cruisers. So there's absolutely no reason to build any destroyers or any cruisers or really any dreadnoughts because your fighters are rolling so good and they are so cheap and they take up half a fleet supply. You should flood the board with fighters, and that should be practically the only thing you build all Got game. Got it. With Neuroglave, you can kind of just gunk up That's the That's what I'm saying. Every time someone tries to attack you, you're like, okay, well, actually, I'm not even going to... I'm not even going to let you destroy the one fighter right. I put in your way. I'm going to retreat. Exactly. But you still activated me, That's, and you still lost Exactly. Support. That's where Foresight comes in handy, is you can retreat before battle, and you can retreat those fighters into positions that are incredibly annoying, because it does not have to be a system that you have any sort of control over. It's just it can't contain anyone else's ships. It can contain planets that other people own with ground forces that other people own, but as long as it doesn't contain ships, you get to move there. Wow. So, yeah, your whole gumming up the works is exactly your number one plan as the Nalu Collective is. Gumming up the works. Gumming up the works. Gum, now, the, 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 what you want to do is gum up their yeah. works. The problem, the problem you're going to run into, though, is don't focus too much on gumming up the works and forget to achieve objectives yourself. Yeah, right? I was just about to say. That's the struggle with Nalu is, yeah, you can do a lot of damage to other people, but you got to remember you're also racing whoever is in the lead, because at the very least, at any point, you want to be tied for the lead. Because when push comes to shove, you want to be... The, the worst position you could be in is you and I are both about to score this next round, but I'm going to score first. 
Mm-hmm. Everything beyond that is you should be just a straight up ahead of people. This is an early game victory race. You do not need to be holding on to the long game because your fighters are going to quickly become more and more irrelevant as the game goes on. You need to strike early, get in people's way, and go for objectives that other people also want to go for on the board, and you need to beat them to it, and then it becomes even more difficult for them to try to get that. Mm-hmm. Controlling for cultural planets... Just launch yourself at those because at the very least, even if you fail to take the planet, your fighters being there is enough to make other people pretty much incapable of taking it themselves because they're not going to risk losing the fleet supply or they're going to have to spend a lot to get around it. Um, But we've been getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Let's talk about the mid game a little bit and let's talk about, like we said we would, trading. Mentak is a really similar race to Nalu in this regard. Mentak, you throw your cruisers everywhere. Now, Mentak have the added benefit of they get to steal from everybody, so you have extra incentive to get by everybody. But I would say Nalu, it's the same mentality of just, you're putting your stuff everywhere, and so you should be trading with people. Now, you're kind of making yourself an enemy, so people might not want to trade with you, but you have three commodities. You're a decent enough trade partner, and because your strategy relies on gumming up the works, you can sometimes get money for free for promises of moving your stuff out of the way. Ah. You're getting stuff for nothing in return. Like you don't have to give up anything usually to gain money. And your fleets are very, very cheap. So small deals go much further for you. Getting one trade good from someone that's two fighters for you. That's only one fleet supply. Like, you're getting so much out of those two fighters fighting on a seven. One trade good is fine. Yeah, I'll move I'll move my three fighters out of your way for one trade good because that's going to reinforce my army to go fight this other guy or just put them back in your way later. Right. Um, I will say, this is where I'm going to reiterate, do not give out... <laughs> Your promissory note under no circumstances mm-hmm. it's just not worth it it's just never ever ever worth it but i think the nalu collective should play fast and loose which people have pointed out i say fast and loose all the time on this podcast but i think uh nalu collective should be trying to give out support for the throne all the time i've had some recent games with people online that like draw these really distinct lines in the sand of like i never trade my support for the thrones or i never play trade my ceasefires and like right now i'm saying never trade your gift for the prescience but nalu because your whole strategy relies on gumming up the works the best strategy with support for the throne is to give it to someone and then immediately get in their way Mm -hmm. because now they have to decide is it worth keeping this point or do i need to sacrifice it to get something better you make the deal to uh, basically, you you get you get something really good yeah. for support for the throne, either a lot of trade goods, or right? I, I don't know what you get, right. maybe some position or something, and then just immediately can move just one random fighter into In their a way. spot where yeah. it's like, well, okay, you're gonna sacrifice your fleet supply just to get that fighter out of your way or whatever. Yeah, and right. and, and even more so, like Hunter, you're I'm in your way. If you give me two trade goods. I'll move, and then you might say, well, I I don't want to do that. These two trade goods are very important to me. I can say, okay, give me two trade goods, and I'll give you my support for the throne, and I'll get out of your way. Mm -hmm. I feel like you're going to take that deal. Probably, yeah. And then now I get to just 
get out of the way by getting more in your way. Right, sure. Um, I think the Nalu Collective needs to play really, really slimy. This is kind of the next big point, is you're not going to make any friends as the Nalu Collective, which is mm-hmm. why the way that you're trading is not just like, hey, let's have this amicable thing and we're going to be trade partners all game. It's like, no, 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 you're putting yourself out there. You're making a new trade partner every single round. You're in someone else's way and you're making these new offers or whatever. Or you're saying, hey, give me two trade goods and I'll go get an x way instead. And that's where you're kind of making all your work happen is it's less trading and it's more, I don't even want to call it blackmailing. Like it's, it's, softer than blackmailing yeah but it's it's just exerting deals for for money where you're not actually having to lose much it's pesky yeah they're just pesky um i would say let's talk about tech path for the mid game so we wanted to rush for neuroglave we wanted to rush for crystal 2 crystal fighter 2 so so far we've spent let's say we didn't have any tech specialties that's a blue tech advanced fighters two greens and neuroglave that's five tech we've had to research that's a lot and that's pretty tricky um i would really do need those you need those tech specialties yes yeah you you need you need to find those planets and even preferably green green's the best one you can get you can get crystal fighter 2 without having a blue tech specialty but it's nice to have it round one basically yeah and not have to worry about it anymore yeah the only reason the only reason blue would help is if you could get it right away. Exactly. Otherwise, and then it ceases to matter, except yeah. for the one other thing is, I would say fleet logistics is more powerful in Nalu's hand than anyone else's, but oh, I, I still yeah. think of fleet logistics as a tech you buy to win the game and then not much else. You don't really do anything else with fleet logistics besides win the game, which mm-hmm. is funny because it's like, well, okay, then it's a really important tech, right? But... Sometimes you can win the game without it. Sometimes you don't need it. But the big thought with fleet logistics is if you're going first, your opportunity is to be able to do an action and then play Imperial turn one before anyone else has done something else and win the game action one before it even needs to get to the status phase. Mm -hmm. Things like that. So fleet logistics taking two actions before anyone else takes any actions. There's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of things you can do that that really upset the balance. But the only problem with that is fleet logistics is not your priority, and you have a lot of other things to get. Now, if you got that green tech specialty planet, and you got Neuroglave round two or three, and were able to get uh, Crystal Fighter 2 on the way, if you can find a way to pick up fleet logistics round four... That's that's gonna be enough, or even round five. Now, if that's the that's why that blue tech specialty might come in handy again because you can use it to skip up to fleet logistics. Yeah, and that's really nice that you just don't have to worry about that. So I don't know. In general, the more I thought about it, I never was able to put green above blue. It's it's really you just need both, and so having one of either is gonna be great. Having one of each is like really really great. Mm-hmm. So, um, but once you have Fleet Logistics, Neuroglave, and Crystal Fighter 2, that's a lot of tech. I don't think you need to get anything else. If, if you have room to get more tech, I mean, 
that you're having a crazy game then because that's that's a lot to accomplish. So I don't really have any other recommendations outside of that. It, it's kind of whatever. This is where you start plugging gaps, right? right. After after Crystal Fighter Two, Neuroglave, and Fleet Logistics, get what works for the board at hand. Let's uh, let's talk about command counters. Uh, it feels like there's a lot of yeah. reasons. For, it's similar to Soul. I would say it even sounds like even it is a more worse, a problem. Yeah, yeah it's it's because, certainly worse problem because you're not getting the extra. Right. Um, hopefully you're getting hypermetabolism quickly because it's on your path to neuroglave. That's the other reason reason to rush for neuroglave is mm-hmm. you're getting hypermetabolism on the way. You want to skip Daxiv. That's you the do one need, to skip. Yeah, really. yeah. Skip Daxiv if, if you can. I mean, not that da- we're not saying Daxiv is we're not saying Daxiv bad. <laughs> we're not saying Daxiv. We're not bad. saying Daxiv Dax bad. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's unnecessary for Nalu. Right, right. It's not like it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah you, you need hypermetabolism. You need neuroglave. You need hypermetabolism bad. Yes, actually. and you need to be taking leadership a lot. You're going to run out of command counters because, again, the goal is to every round in your production center build a ton of fighters, and then the next round move all of those fighters out in different directions and build again. So you're, you're like, constantly... It's like wildfire. Mm-hmm. Your fighters need to just spread the board, take up every single available space, even empty space. Just go everywhere. Go throw a bunch of fighters into the gravity rift. Like, literally go everywhere you can possibly go because it's going to become useful at some point. Um, yes, it's a lot of command counters, and, like, I would almost even say, like, this is a race where you take leadership every single time it is available to you because you will need a lot and you need to spend more influence than you normally would on command counters because the value you get out of those I think is huge because I mean if you're just leaving fighters everywhere and then honestly kind of just forgetting about them it's usually going to come pay off later when someone else really needs that system or needs to get through that system that you're blocking and it costs them entirely too much to go through your multiple waves of fighters because if yes one activation is annoying for them but if they need to activate two of your systems that's two fleet supply they're going to lose on the path to get there that's a lot i mean that is pretty substantial you're going to either you're going to make them spend a lot of time trying to maneuver their fleets so that they will be able to adhere to whatever they know their new fleet supply is going to be or you're going to kill a lot of ships Mm -hmm. because i know for me i tend to maximize a fleet supply and send that fleet out and so i'll have three or four fleets that are at my max fleet supply i don't tend to overload my fleet supply area i don't plan to like have that be a consideration so if i have three fleet supply i'm gonna have a bunch of three fleet armies and so if i lose one fleet supply i could lose four ships yeah i mean i don't even think i could possibly plan yeah around no that. it's like in the in the game where he rushed for neuroglave and i was yin Every, every single round became like this huge math equation of like how am i even gonna get these destroyers where they need to be or i just straight up am not allowed to attack anything that nalu has and he was slowly encroaching on my territory and so it became every round it became an even worse problem to have to deal with let's talk about what can go wrong with this strategy a lot because it does yeah yeah it, it is a little i will say it it feels Nalu feels a little scary to me and always has, I think, because they don't have any bonuses that are like um, 
There's a lot of currency. Yes. Various types of currency that Nalu is, is expected to spend. Yeah. And they don't really have a boon to any of these currencies. Right. They don't get like extra command counters. Right. Yet they are like with this this strategy describing like we're gonna have to spend a lot of yeah. there's a lot of tech we're gonna have to research they don't have any real tech, bonuses right. towards that they don't have any sort of money they have more access right. to they have middling commodities so you need to build up all these things and that's why early aggression on the nalu can be very scary yeah. um if they if if they can if your neighbors can start targeting your stuff to where you just aren't able to spread your wildfire fighters it's going to be really hard to turn that around later. You need to become the nuisance quickly. It's very similar to Soul, where like Soul just needs to get to the planet, and then then the damage has already been done. Yeah. And Nautilus the same way. But if they get to you before you have Neuroglave, and they kind of like really hurt your earliest fleets, you're going to have a really hard time coming back from that because now you need to reinvest all your money in rebuilding those fleets, which means you don't have as much money to spend on tech which means you're not getting to neuroglave as quickly as you would like to so i would say think about your expansion early game um as slow the the wildfire part comes in over time and you you first need to focus on your pie slice um yes you're rushing for your neuroglave and yes you're rushing for all these other things but you are not rushing for like throwing your fighters at Mechatol Rex turn two. You're slowly expanding, and those fighters will get to the positions they need to be in later, and they will do some damage when you have huge swarms of them. But if you get attacked too early and and have a battle go poorly, not in your favor, um, it's going to hurt you a lot more in the long run. So you need to build um, these screens, and you're, you're slowly kind of extending the wave out from your home system each round. So that every time someone wants to invade anything you have, they have to go through multiple layers heading towards your home system. In, in that way, Nalu's home system is very similarly untakeable to a soul or something like that because the number of spaces you would have to activate to get there would cost you three fleet supply command counters right. on, need the, on the way. There need to be ships in every yeah. system in the Nalu. And so you need to start that early. You need to start just this like, nope, we just are only moving to the three systems adjacent to my home planet. And then next turn, we'll move to the five systems adjacent to those. And, the ne and you're just like slowly crawling until now you have enough space to work within and maneuver you know, your space docks, build whatever you need. You, you have enough money in your pie slice. Now you can start to lash out and get crazy and, and really hurt people. Mm -hmm. but, but early game, if you see yourself as being a target, take it slow. Take it easy. Don't, don't worry about um, pissing off your neighbor too quickly because you, you, they can do more damage to you early than they'll be able to in the mid game. Yeah. Um, mid game is really your time to shine as Nalu. Honestly, round three and four are like your, should be your best rounds because after round five, things are going to start hurting for you. Yeah. The big, the big mean scary races are going to start getting work done. Um, they're, the fleet supply thing might not matter as much to them because they they might have been banking enough command counters to deal with it. Um, so yeah, your scariest times are round one, round two, and then right there at the very end of the game. I never really thought about them that way, but it does. It feels right. It feels like they have a really solid start, but at the same time, like they 
it takes a while for them to get to a scary point. Yeah. Which is weird because they are the fighter race. But, right. like, it's, people, it's just not all there. Yeah, people really. always talk about Nalu as... I mean, I see people say that they think they're one of the worst races in the game. And I think, honestly, that is somewhat valid in in the right play groups. Mm-hmm. If you're not willing to be aggressive and, and really be a problem for people, this race doesn't have that many benefits. Like, if you play yeah. with a very passive table that it like only likes to kind of make alliances and do lots of bartering, right. the Nalu don't have a lot to offer that sort of transaction. If there ain't a lot of works to gum up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you really are an aggressive race that needs to get in people's way and play mean. I mean, you're mm-hmm. you're not here to make anyone's day easier as the Nalu collective. You're the, you're there to frustrate people. Exactly. That's essentially yeah. what And and so if you're not willing to do that and in the 6-hour board game, Nalu collective is not going to be the race for you because yeah, you're going to you're going to upset people. Are we ready to talk counters then? Kinda yeah. Sounds like we're almost there. I think so. So, uh, for me, there's two I like this first one. Yeah. More than anything, I want to kind of stress that I don't know that Nalu is really great at countering anybody but the matriarch is a is a very very good flagship that Mm -hmm. i think maybe some people don't realize is as good as it is but when that flagship is with let's say you have five fleet supply Mm -hmm. that is gonna be 14 fighters that you can bring with you yeah so all those fighters then get to invade planets let's knock it back one you have to bring at least one ground force right so 13 fighters and one ground force to invade pretty much any planet you want so i kind of want to call this um a counter against arborek or soul when we talked about soul we didn't say nalu was a counter against soul and so it's still kind of soft for me in this respect but there are going to be planets of souls that you can go deal with there's gonna be the planets that they haven't been reinforcing as heavily and maybe they only got five or six ground forces down you're gonna take those i think i like the count i i don't know if i agree with the soul thing but i agree with the arborek thing yes arborek's the other one that i didn't say yet but arborek you're you're gonna do some work on i i feel like with arborek it makes so much sense and i feel like here's why arborek as opposed to soul soul's more of a like get in yes drop soul's gonna beat you to a lot of the places right. you want to try to get but the thing about arborek is that they have to like they literally have to spread and snowball yeah and you're literally like a well you can't move here or here yeah. or here yep. without giving up your fleet supply and like arborek is a race that is gonna like that could potentially counter arborek's ability to even build yes. in the activation right because it's like oh well you lost the fleet supply so not only did you not get to build something because you don't have a fleet supply for it you also have to lose one of the ships right. you already built right exactly you know? yeah, yeah. If, like i i if, I really if you are if one. you are a neighbor of the arborex i would say make your best effort to expand towards the arborex because you're gonna really ruin their day mm-hmm. if if decent enough objective stuff is in between the two of you honestly um, you're I gonna see, make it hard for them to, to snowball i see your pie slice as like kind of a nightmare for uh sar though a little bit too because like while you're, you're not necessarily costing them a lot with neuroglave mm-hmm. it's still not in their favor to have to go to through like, that to go through yeah a pie slice I, that has a lot of ships i think it. that nalu doesn't typically get neuroglave fast enough to where if you're let's say you're sar's neighbor sar can probably choose to 
get through you before it matters. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as coming back around to you, yes. In the mid-game, Sar doesn't want to fight through you. Um, yeah. No, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's... The, the big thing with Sar is, and this is kind of... I put it in the other boat of who counters us, and the fact of the matter is Sar's flagship, which they're probably going to get, is going to walk through your fighters. So yes, they might lose some fleet oh, supply, yes, yeah. but they're going to anti-fighter barrage you down easy. They're just uh, going to mow yeah, through you. So Sar kind of is a bit of a back-and-forth relationship. It depends on how quickly you get Neuroglave and how quickly they get their flagship up and kind of both of your positions. But you're going to have an interesting relationship with the Sar player. As for other people who counter us... Um, certain yin players, because certain yin players are going to rush for destroyer two, not most, but it's certainly an option mm-hmm. for yin, um, and they have more incentive to get better destroyers than anybody else. So anybody who's going to get lots of anti fighter barrages is certainly scary for you. Um, and the other kind of big big mention is the extra because this is this is an interesting discussion we're about to have honestly because i'm going to talk about extra and i'm going to talk about the l1z1x and the problem here is graviton laser system is used to target non-fighter ships if able mm-hmm. after you've targeted non-fighters you start targeting fighters with graviton laser system and the strategy i'm suggesting you employ because it is really powerful is to have very very few non-fighter ships which means things like expanding with one carrier or two carriers and a bunch of fighters you become very very susceptible to graviton laser system in terms of getting ground forces on the ground Mm -hmm. your fighters will continue to like do some work and they can run around but actually taking planets as nalu can be very difficult and especially almost impossible if extra is your neighbor you're not going to touch extra stuff because graviton laser system is going to destroy every carrier you have if you're playing a heavy fighter route which you should be so same thing goes for lizix and their flagship where if they're coming at you and you've got lots of fighters, like they're still firing at things and they're hurting everything else that you probably need. I mean, in the scenario we said earlier, right? You have your matriarch, you have 13 fighters and you have one ground force. If that's up against L1Z1X or X-Chop, they only need two hits to completely remove that flagship right. from the game and, and completely stop you from being able to get any work done. Mm-hmm. So that's where the biggest that's their achilles heel honestly is things that target non-fighters because you're going to have to have some other ships a part of a few of your fleets if you want to take any planets or get anything real done yeah and things that ignore fighters are gonna really crush those problems and 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 that's kind of where you have to get really clever with nalu and honestly that's why i think you need to gum up as much as you want as much as you like I'm suggesting because that's the only spot where your strength remains is like, okay, I can't necessarily just like attack this Lizix player. But if I have so many waves of fighters in their way of stuff, I'm making them come to me on my terms with my foresight ability and with all these other things. That's what you always want as Nalu is to already be out there and people have to fight through you and deal with you, not you lashing out through them because lashing out through them when their defenses are taking hold other defensive races are usually going to do better than you yeah i think there's just going to be certain races that 
as Nalu, you're going to have to gum up their works yes. more specifically than yeah, others. Than others. Another, I think Extra actually might really be a good example of that. Get in their way before they've gotten before the planets. Before they have their PDS. The other problem, though, is they can peacefully annex planets right out from oh, under you man, and drop PDS of, down. They're kind of... Really a big counter. It's like the more we talk mm-hmm. about it, I'm like, I don't know what you do against No, you don't do much. That. That my sucks. my worst game, the first time I played Nalu, I was between L1Z1X and Extra. And oh, it was man. just like, I, I, don't, I don't have a game here. I don't get to play Twilight Imperium. Yeah. It's miserable. Um, another honorable mention is uh, the Necrovirus flagship. You have a really weird relationship with that flagship because his ground forces get to join the space combat and your fighters get to join the ground combat i feel like people were going to bring that up but i'm going to say neither side has the advantage there beyond the necro the necro Necro in their home system are going to have more ground forces than you now if they're trying if the necro are trying to be offensive with that flagship you should probably have more fighters than they have ground forces but when they're using their flagship in the way they should be using their flagship which is at home or on mechatol with a ton of ground forces behind it that's not a fight you can take right. as the Nalu. So depending on the positioning, that can go back and forth. But you're you're gonna you two are gonna clash. You're both. Well, no, I actually I'm gonna get. I, I don't know. I'm I'm going back and forth because the thing is, uh, I was about to say that. Well, you guys are about equal when it comes to capacity, but that's not true because with Crystal Fighter... Yeah, you have half-fleet supplies. Yeah, so technically, if you're both out there, Mm -hmm. you should probably be able to get more fighters out there than he's going to have ground forces. Yes, on anything but... The systems that he's like heavily, heavily. But defending. I think I think we've all accepted now that uh, the Necro flagship is the ultimate home system Defender. defense. Yeah, thing. absolutely. It it really is. Yeah. Um. And the matriarch, the matriarch is cool, but it is still not. It's not like an ultimate planet grabber. It's not the opposite of of the Necro's flagship. It's not. Yeah. It's good at taking planets, but it has its weaknesses. Mainly the graviton laser system thing. The fact that you like. There, there are things it's not going to be able to fight through. But in most cases, the matriarch trying to take a planet, you're always going to get that planet. Yeah. And honestly, I think I like it more just for the capacity, just yeah. to get those extra fighters, extra fighters in, in the fight that you're going to want. Definitely. What makes Nalu a superpower? And this is kind of a tricky question to answer because we've talked about a lot of defensive capabilities. We've talked about, like, being everyone's enemy. Like, what, what is actually making you you know so powerful that other players are forced to deal with you at the board and and it's gumming up the works more than anything it's you have to create territory that is annoying to attack mm-hmm. and so sometimes you are playing a game where you're getting every objective you can but you're also preventing everyone else from getting lots of objectives sometimes a couple well-placed fighters can block pretty much everyone from getting any good victory points and you'll win by just kind of barely staying ahead it's not a horrible strategy with them but it's it's certainly a weird way to play and a reason why a lot of people don't actually like the nalu because it's a it's a different way to play and it's not an especially obvious superpower um but all that being said the place you get your victory from is like we said at the very beginning it's all from telepathic. The fact that you score objectives first is going... For me, in TI3, I won more games as Nalu 
just because I scored before the next person in line. I don't know if I've ever seen the Nalu Wim without it coming down to, to that, that. Honestly, yeah, yeah like, that might be true. And I'm, and TI four so far, I don't think we've seen a win with them yet. But every game has had its incredibly weird circumstances. Yeah, I don't feel like we've had a really raw look at Nalu where they were getting to do kind of their normal thing because there's been incredibly strange circumstances. And honestly, I mean that is the flaw of the Nalu is. You're not good at like dealing with disaster. You're you're good at getting in the way and gumming up the works, but it, almost similar to to Yin Brotherhood, it's it's you're better at hurting other people than you are at succeeding yourself. Yeah, and so you have to lot. find you have to find ways to turn that into a victory, and that's why you rely on your zero points so much. Mm. You gotta, you gotta always be blocking the leader so that you can stay even with them. That's the thing. Like gum up the works of whoever's in the lead, right? So that you can catch up to them and then stay even with them and then beat them because you score points before they score points. I mean, that's that's pretty much the most consistent advice I can offer. There's gonna be lots of other things you can do to like have good games, but they're all gonna be reliant on a lot of different situations. Um, and so the only thing that I can say you can reliably do is just keep yourself on par with the pack and then swing right when it matters and use that telepathic ability to win you the game. That's kind of your best bet. It's a weird race. We we rated them incredibly highly in our theoretical tier list, and I still think that they're super, super powerful, but it is kind of an interesting... Maybe they're not powerful in terms of victory points and objectives. They're powerful in this other way that is hard to um, turn into wins. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what VPs they're necessarily, like... Have an advantage on. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not sure I see a lot of those. Maybe, I guess, system occupancy. Right. Occupancy. The, yeah. There, yeah. And, but there's not that many of those. Yeah. The big thing is, this is why the matriarch does become pretty important, is because you're not going to make a ton of planet grab maneuvers, mm. and the matriarch's going to help you catch up on those things. Because mm. you're going to need to do that. There, there's going to be objectives in the mid-game where it's like, okay, I need to get that fourth hazardous planet. And the matriarch can snipe in and do that. And and that's kind of what you're reliant on is you swing big with the matriarch and a big fleet and everything else is gumming up the works. But you have yeah. your one fleet surrounded by fighters that is just the matriarch and that's what you use to grab necessary planets to score objectives. All right, I've got I've got one one question. Okay. I, I feel like I'm just still not quite getting it. What do I do with the works again? <laughs> if you could tell me... You need to... What's the verb? You need to agoom up the works. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. We're going with a Swedish theme this episode. Uh, I'm getting ahead of the cart before the horse, but... Cart. Cart. The, the cart before the horse with the Federation oh of Sul. Oh, God. That was racist. That was um, racist? I think so, yeah. I think Probably. That yeah. <laughs> I think it Pretty sure it's doing... Doing racist accents is that's racism. not a racist accent. I get to do an Australian accent, but I can't do a Swedish accent. Oh, that's a good point. Mm. Right. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I, I don't know. Telepathic is so cool. That's the thing about the Nalu Collective kinda, is, is they like, have all these really cool abilities. It's just so hard to turn any of those abilities into 
advantages. Yeah. They're cool things that you get to do, but they are almost entirely defensive. And they are almost entirely like, ooh, you can pull off this weird slick maneuver, and that might be fun to do. But it didn't get me any victory points, and it didn't get me any closer to winning. But boy, boy, did we have some fun, huh? What's their, like, what's their win ratio percentage on that thing? I don't think it's very good. I, I don't want to look it up right now, but they're oh, okay. they're not top tier, that's for yeah. sure, in, in statistically. But that currently, that list is, like, all over the place. Yeah, it is. Pretty just good. recently, Yin and Winu are, like, top dogs, which is just, that's like, that's not, that's just not, I refuse to live in a world where the Yin Brotherhood are the best race right, in Twilight yeah, Imperium. I won't allow it, Jada Paik. I won't allow it, Jada Paik! Yeah, welcome to welcome to Sick Boy Dumb Stuff, <laughs> and my voice sounds like garbage. Um, actually, it doesn't really sound that, bad. that bad. It sounds yeah. fine, but I feel inside not good. And so let's read all this criticism, this mean spirited <laughs> hate mail. Let's read our this, hate mail for the here's week. the hate the hate mail for the week that we got. <laughs> These people talking to me, saying that everything I have to say and think is stupid. No, of course that's not what it is, but. Let's uh, let's talk about some errata from the Soul episode yeah. from last week. Um, the first one we've got is from Combat Cotton, uh, a new submitter. Sub- submitter. Submitter. He, he submits from our Board Game Geek Guild, and they said, "Is it just me, or is the Matriarch a decent counter to the Soul's turtle tactic, as it can just drown them in the leftovers of the space battles that you said Soul had little hope of winning in the first place, especially since Soul is." always somewhat short on command counters and cannot afford to mess with Nalu before those sneaky snakes decide to return the favor. I think the matriarch yeah does have some potential there as yeah. a possible And counter. as you and I both know because we just finished talking about the Nalu just moments ago. Oh, you're right. We, we've just finished talking about the matriarch. No, uh, this is before we recorded that but really the point um, with Soul is, we, we almost brought this up. We almost talked about Nalu as kind of an honorable mention but the number one thing I think is most of the time, even though you're you're going to have a lot more fighters than a normal person is, a soul player can still have more ground forces, and those ground forces are still rolling better than fighters. And so it's like, yes, this is a this is a nice way to try to deal with soul, but it's certainly not a counter, and it's and it's oftentimes not going to be enough. Yeah, I wish I'd kind of made this point specifically in the episode, like said it the way I'm about to say it now, but like the whole reason you use orbital drop is so that there's more infantry in a space than somebody could capacity there. Right. That's the whole thing. Yes, That's the have, whole reason you that have you do so it. So so many ground forces. Yeah, just you should yeah, you just got to do that math and so then therefore then like even with the matriarch they still have to obey the rules of yeah. like they have to physically get the things there and the whole yeah. thing with soul is you're trying to like completely sidestep yeah. that so the end case being there are going to be planets that soul isn't focusing on and yes the matriarch will be able to deal with those if it's only like six ground forces versus however many fighters you've got in the matriarch swarm you're going to be good to go but on the ones that um soul is especially worried about mechatol rex and their home planet 
Um, that's the situation where I don't think the matriarch is going to be enough because they're going to be heavily defending those. Also, you shouldn't be short on command counters. You should have a healthy supply, really. Well, if you're playing, well, I mean, you're going to be. You using have a lot. A lot you have a lot of. You have a lot of reason to use them, but you also like if you're playing right, you should. I mean, have, have you should have strong. a lot of influence. I mean, we we talked about yeah, that yeah, a lot. Yeah, in yeah, the of episode. course. Yeah, I think I think that's neither here nor there. You, you you may or may not have enough, but but more importantly, you just may not have enough fighters to deal with the stuff. Yeah. So, um, our next one is from Topaz Dragon uh, on Twilight Imperium subreddit. I think you're underestimating Soul's promissory note, which we always seem to do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I especially feel that Soul can bring the note to market by looking around the board and selling it to people who are about to get into a fight. Hey, want to invade that planet next turn? How about, or are you about to get attacked? Do you want two more infantry for that fight? How about giving me a trade good or two, a few trade goods to make sure you win? It's always a great way to help out that player who's attacking the leader, assuming the leader isn't you. If you attack Jolnar's homeworld next turn, I'll give you my note so you have two more infantry and you'll have a better chance. At that point, you're literally helping attack someone that is nowhere near you. You only lose a strategy token if you're able to. If you're out of strategy tokens, you can just trade away the note again and again and again and not lose pretty much anything and you're getting whatever you can convince people to give you this is great um we, we i think hunter and i just generally don't play um loose enough with promissory notes yeah, we're, we're we... very close to the chest with those and so we don't get to explore some of the like interesting ways to to get use out of them i think this just comes from we have a lot of fear and respect for each other (laughs) in games of twilight imperium we don't want the other player to get away with pulling off an amazing maneuver that's really what it is it's like if if matt can win with my help yeah that's the worst that's That's the greatest sin of all that's the most (laughs) disgusting thing so promissory notes like especially racial ones i think we are just kind of like cautious over but i think this was actually a really really good point and i think that this is a really good potential like catch-up strategy for soul if they're having like a game where they've kind of gotten behind right um but even if you're ahead like this could be like a really cool mm-hmm. play if you like find the right situation to work find it the into two, like they say find the two people on the other side of the board that really aren't even your concern and help fund one of their war efforts so that you get money for your own I, it works there's a lot of ways it this works. is honestly like the it's responses like this that are my favorite thing about doing errata for mm-hmm. this show is when me and you dismiss something like we're going with our gut yeah. and then the community is like no but but like really this is, this is it perfect. and then the second that I read it I'm like oh yeah we shouldn't have dismissed that <laughs> like that, that moment is really yeah. fun to me yeah. um, let's do another one this next one is from Isarl Rock um, I like that name uh, from Reddit Twilight Imperium. They say that you advised not getting advanced fighters early, which is kind of fair enough, but linked to your advice at round two is Soul's turn to shine, which has been my experience too. Building fighters on turn one and then researching carrier two and advanced fighters gives you a fleet that is really scary for about two turns. Just enough time to claim planets with your spec ops two and reinforce them. This is part of the kind of dissecting pathways with soul right like we Mm -hmm. talked a lot about like get the ground forces down get spec ops 2 as fast as possible because that's kind of where your big threat is and and in games where we focused on carrier 2 we didn't really see the benefit but i do see how comboing it with advanced fighters that's kind of what your threatening fleet can be if you can get the production capacity to match it and i think that's where this 
idea for this strategy is a little bit difficult because we're talking early, early, early game. Round one and two, a little bit dipping into round three. How many advanced fighters and carriers are you really getting out there? I'm not so sure. We mentioned in the episode uh, that advanced fighters is definitely like a place to go. Mm -hmm. And the reason that we emphasized going like the tech direction that we talked about is mostly just so that you're getting healthy, strong uh, infantry Mm -hmm. to a place faster than everybody else. It's the speed that is the concern. So like going for carrier two and getting advanced fighters, my fear is that you're going to then have to fight through um, somebody else who may have already planted or rooted themselves somewhere. And like, as far as when we're talking about Mechatol or like some high value um, like planets, it's I think harder for Soul to to strike in. Yeah. Um. And I I hear what you're saying. Like okay, so built like if you got these advanced fighters and carrier two, that that's gonna be a formidable enough fleet. But you can also just get there first. Like that's the I think that's right. the part that like kind of confuses me. Yeah, and then it's just like what you didn't really you didn't really you could do the fleet second. You, you like, know what I'll say. I think this one to a certain extent depends on on the objectives. If you yeah. if you draw some secret objectives that are like I need to I need to take out some fleets early mm-hmm. and like the holding planet objectives just aren't really fallen, I could see myself diverting to this strategy. Right. Um, now you might not know that fast enough, but like if if the first secret objective I draw is literally like you know win some sort of space combat, like I know I need to get a fleet that's going to be up to snuff and try to get that thing out of the way rather than having to hold on to that secret objective into the late game. So I think there's validity to this. I just think um, I think the ground force route is going to be more consistent. Yeah, that's. I was about to say that I feel like th- this. Going for Carrier 2 and Advanced Fighters first is, to me, more of, like, I don't want to say it's a gamble. It's not a gamble. It's not, like, that far. It just depends on who your neighbors are that you might need that. Right. And I just feel like going for Spec Ops 2, though, is just, I don't see it not working. That's the thing. And I also, like, when I'm thinking about Carrier 2 and Advanced Fighters early, like, that, it does seem pretty solid to me. Yeah. But, like, the Spec Ops 2 thing, I just... I don't even see how it fails. Yeah. This, this feeds into Yasaro Rock's other point they made, which was you said to get Spec Ops 2 as soon as possible, but keep in mind that most of the time people will see the sheer numbers of your already better troops and just not bother to attack. Spec Ops 2 doesn't expand your options in the same way that Carrier 2 and Hypermetabolism do, so you should probably hold off on getting it until you see a crucial attack coming. This is the point that I honestly just like disagree with because I think... You are at yes, your ground forces are better than everybody else's from the get go, but I don't think round one and two, you have the numbers that are unstoppable yet. No, necessarily. You, I like you're not using. You have other priorities. You can't just be like using orbital drop the first two rounds over and over. Right. Like you still, you're gonna have to get tech. Like there, you don't yeah. have everything figured out right. like that. And also like. The idea, I, you know what? Here, I think this is this is the part that's kind of getting missed is that we very much for the way that the whole strategy that we described in the last episode works. Soul needs to strike out at a high value target. Mm-hmm. That's the whole idea. Kind of the point, yeah. So, like, if you're not going for Mechatol or something really, really juicy, yeah. 
um, then I think I kind of see your point. Yes. But if you are, then you do need Spec Ops too, right. because people like when people if you're playing you. at a thir- on a thirsty table, like they're gonna see you strike for Mechatol yeah. and be like, uh, uh, uh. And yeah. I mean, like the game that I played that inspired all of this, I very nearly was attacked early on Mechatol by a War Sun from Muad. Yeah. And without Spec Ops two, that probably. I mean, even with Spec Ops 2, that could have been a pretty close fight. Right, right. But Spec Ops but, 2 was important to help me feel safe because I knew that anything worst case scenario, yeah. I'm still going to get to keep these ground forces that they're simply coming back to my home planet. Yeah. And if you're going heavy, like if that's your plan to go heavy ground forces, like that, that is important. Yeah. And also just knowing... Honestly, that even just that aspect of it, the, the fact, the gen synthesis part where they go back home... That's the other reason you want it fast is because then anything you do happen to lose early, if someone does go crazy, those ground forces are most useful early. Like mm-hmm. the fact that they might come back to you saves you a lot of time having to orbital drop them in the early game when you don't have as many command counters to do orbital drops. Right. So even more reason to, to go Spec Ops 2 that I just made up <laughs> right now. <laughs> Uh, Matt the Fat from Twilight Imperium subreddit said, One thing I realized was that the math was the same for L1Z1X between going for Advanced Dreadnoughts and War Sons. And then Matt the Fat detailed a game they played where uh, War Sons did some some really good work for Lizix. And we haven't done our Lizix episode. And honestly, we hadn't really been writing much for our Lizix episode yet. But we're super in love with this War Sun Lizix approach. And... Maybe it's not universally good. We'll figure that out when we talk about Lizix. But in terms of if Soul's your neighbor, if Soul's your target, War Sons are great for Lizix. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's how you're going to counter Federation of Soul. Dreadnoughts are going to be good. Dreadnought 2s are fine. But putting putting two War Sons wherever you need to target things, you're going to lay waste to, to any Soul player. What is, what is the... I always forget what skill is called what with the l1z1 but harrow is harrow is the one where you get yes harrow you get to bombard over and over again the fact that you got three on a three with with harrow yeah every round of combat see we didn't think about that because you you think naturally your head kind of goes dreadnought with l1z1 but like orsons are huge yeah and that's it that i'm smelling something interesting there yeah. there's a k there's a k yeah, baking just, yeah we stupidly haven't really thought about that with l1z1x yet and you greatly influenced what our eventual l1z1x episode will be about For sure <laughs> so very, very good point uh we also had some stuff from ds jensen 19 on board game geek and topaz dragon again on twilight imperium subreddit basically just talking about we mentioned winu and soul racing winu for mechatol rex and they we we basically kind of like misspoke a little bit because we basically we, we said that Winu's space well, docks won't matter and everyone and they won't matter. and they and well the point everyone made is no those space docks for Winu are great on Mechatol Rex because you get to use hegemonic trade policy to flip Mechatol Rex into a six one planet thereby having production capacity eight and that's all true and that's all well and good and we'll talk more about that when we get to our Winu episode but the point we were making is Soul should be at Mechatol round two. And if somehow when you got there first, you definitely don't have hegemonic trade policy yet. Yeah. And Seoul will wipe you out. So you, their space stock, well, all, all we were trying to make the point was is Winu's space stock as like the one thing you get with your racial ability and like getting to Mechatol quickly, that is not enough. 
the fact that you have to tech up to hegemonic trade policy makes its defensive capabilities too slow compared to Seoul's ability to come in and take it from you. Right. And that's that was our end-all point, and I think that still tracks, where Seoul, Seoul round two or three can attack Mechatol, and even if Winu is there, they're probably going to take it from them. It's just going to be, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough fight at least. I mean, what, they get the PDS, like, that'll be helpful. Sure, but, but uh, not enough. Yeah. Uh, and one final one. This is kind of a fun errata. We stupidly made jokes about the name of the planet and what Federation of Soul is, but the answer is right there in front of us, and we're just two dumb idiots that didn't think to even, not even do research, but just, like, think about what the words were, were and why, why yeah. they might be what they are. So Christian T. Peterson is from Denmark, and so maybe it makes sense that maybe these influences for earthen people are, I don't know, Danish in nature, or at the very <laughs> least Nordic, and uh, our one of our listeners, Carl, from Sweden, emailed us to basically school us in all things uh, Swedish and Nordic. Um, so here's a little bit of a taste of what they sent us. The planet Earth is called Jorden in Swedish. It literally means the Earth. Roughly pronounced Jord with a silent R and a thick D like an American English. Hunter, you want to give that a, you want to give that a go? Jord. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Jord just means dirt or earth, and the sun is Solen in Swedish, or Sol, roughly pronounced Sul. So the Federation of Sul. Yes. And that's for now on how we will always pronounce Sul. Yeah. So look at what you learned. You look what you learned. Guess, and you're just sitting on your toilet <laughs> hunter where do you think people listen to our podcast i think people i think this is a poopers podcast well, i think this is an hour and a half long <laughs> poopers, poopers podcast. podcast well thanks for joining us on this poopers podcast we hope we hope that this was the exact length of your long luxurious poop. oh yeah it's business time and, we gotta do business and now. uh now business it's time, time to tell you follow us on space cats pause oh, space cats peace oh, on facebook man, wow. uh, uh we post on twilight imperium subreddit we have a board game geek guild we Find have a that p.o box we got in indianapolis <laughs> It's, it's nine eight three two. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We I said last week we would have a Patreon up very soon. I didn't do that. Yeah. What's happening? I had to work a lot. I'm really sorry. Um. I don't work this week as far as as long as far as I know. We'll see. My 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 schedule is really weird. So anytime I make promises, they can be very quickly upended by uh, factors outside of my control. So I'm going to keep trying to get that out. I'm going to keep trying to get some of these videos out. Hopefully this is a, a, a nice big week of Space Cats, Peace Turtles content for you all. So we'll uh, email. We'll email, email us. us ooh, Twilight ooh. Or email us. Uh, email this us. Life this Imperium Life stuff. We always want those. And let's do another play of the week. Oh, let's, let's do that. Let's end this little, episode. One oh, more oh, thing I want to do. Yes. Before, I want to okay. keep doing, pushing my stand-up stuff. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So, uh, shut up. Don't sleep. All right. Uh, so, I'm going to throw my stand-up dates at you again. All right. So, this is, here's my stand-up dates uh, coming up. I'm going to be doing a bunch of stand-up in San Francisco that I'm really excited about. On March 1st, I'm going to be at Milk Bar at 8 p.m. Um, on Friday, March 2nd, I'm going to be doing a show called Pamtastics. Um, at 8 p.m. at the Mutiny Comedy Radio Festival. Um, that's at 8 p.m. And then I have another show at the same venue, um, Mutiny Radio, uh, called Rad. That starts at 10 p.m. And uh, what's great about these Mutiny Radio shows is that they'll actually be streaming uh, live. Mm. So even if you aren't physically that. there in San Francisco, you'll be able to listen to 
to uh, me and a bunch of uh, really interesting performers, uh, including some people that have written for, um, like, that guy from Workaholics. I forgot what his name is. Sure. But uh, guys have worked with him, like, a lot of interesting, like, other performers from Portland. Um, on Saturday, March 3rd, I'm going to be at Bar Fluxus at 8 o'clock. Um, and then again at 10 o'clock, I will be back at Mutiny Radio to do a show called Underwear Only, where I wear only my underwear. Um, that's going to be a welcome. goofy time. Yeah, you're welcome there. Um, <laughs> and then Sunday, March 4th, I'm going to be back at Mutiny um, for a show called Hell Hat Improv, uh, which I'm hosting. That happens at 6 p.m. And then at 7 p.m., I'm on a show called Neck of the Woods that I still have not figured out what it is or where it is. Um, <laughs> but it's so in your neck of the isn't, woods. Isn't that exciting? All right, yeah. cool. So there are my dates. And don't forget again. to hit us up, and maybe Hunter can play some Twilight Imperium while yes. he's got a lot of downtime. He's That's, there for a while. That's probably the more interesting aspect to you is that I will be in San Francisco for five days with no plans during the day. So if you want to play Twilight Imperium, that sounds perfect. Yeah. Let's do our Our second play of the week. week. Max emailed us, and here's here's Max's play of the week. Does play of the week get like a theme song? It should. Come on in, Heather, with the play of the week. (laughs) I was holding Mechatol and had over double the points of the runner-up. The necro player, who sat across from me, hadn't been able to interact with me the whole game. Finally, he charged in with his big, scary fleet and flagship to take Mechatol. He killed a unit and got Spec Ops 2 mid-battle, suddenly making all of his ground forces that were a part of the space combat much scarier and winning him the space battle. It was scary, but when he tried to invade Mechatol, he realized that I still had... 14 ground forces there, and, well, he didn't accomplish much after that. Thank you, Max, for that wonderful play of the week. It just goes to show, no matter how good an ability is, 14 ground forces on a planet is uh, pretty hard to deal with. That's a lot. That's a lot, and that's why we like orbital drop, and that's why we like building lots and lots and lots of ground forces, because everything just stops when you have a million on your planet. Thanks, Max. <laughs> Why did you do that? That's so weird. Fade to black. Fade to Max. Fade to Max. <laughs> Fade to Max, and he's sitting there listening, and he's pooping, and he's like, oh, and then now he's gonna take a picture of that poop and send it into Poop of the Week. And he Max, looks. Th- please do not tweet your picture of your poop to. He's Steve gonna Martin. tweet his poop, and it's gonna be called Spec Poops Two. <laughs> It'll be like, you try and land your necro here, you won't. Oh boy, Hunter, you're going. Where where you're leading, I cannot follow. Max of the week. Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>